Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. Thank you, Elena, for sharing your story. Um, yeah, I just love how you were talking about, you know, your love and uh, God's relationship with you. Um, I'm going to be, my name is Nicole. I'm going to be doing scripture reading today. It's a two-part, so buckle in. Um, it's going to be Matthew 13, 1 through 9, and then we're going to jump to 18 through 23. On that day, after Jesus went out of the house, he sat by the lake. And such a large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat to sit while the whole crowd stood on the shore. He told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. They sprang up quickly because the soil was not deep. But when the sun came up, they were scorched, and because they did not have sufficient root, they withered. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and they grew up and choked them. But other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundred times as much, some sixty, and some thirty. The one who has ears had better listen. Now, jumping to 18. So listen to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed sown on rocky ground is the person who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, but he has no root in himself and does not endure when trouble or persecution comes because of the world. Immediately he falls away. The seed sown among thorns is the person who hears the word, but worldly cares and the seductiveness of wealth choke the word, so it produces nothing. But as for the seed sown on good soil, this is the person who hears the word and understands. He bears fruit, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what he has sown. Well, hey, y'all. Good morning. You may be wondering why Trey looks a little bit shorter and has a beard this Sunday. Um, If you don't know, my name is Nick Beer. I get to be the worship director here at Contrast, and I don't usually teach here, so I'm very excited about this. Uh, Honestly, it's funny when Trey asked me to teach. This was months and months ago, and it was a very open-ended question, like, would you someday want to teach? And I was like, sure, maybe. Uh, not knowing that he would give me like a two-week heads up when he was like, hey, you're going to teach this passage in two weeks. And I was like, oh, okay, you're serious about this. So here we are. This is way out of my comfort zone. Normally I'm up here with a guitar or a piano in front of me, so I don't know what to do with my hands. I feel very scattered. So hopefully that's not too distracting for you, but uh, I'm excited about this passage. I think it's really great. Um, I'm going to start right off the bat by saying that this passage has really challenged me. 
uh, this, these couple verses of Matthew, and I hope and pray that it does the same for all of you. Um, I've recognized, similarly to what Elena shared, that um, each time life has gotten hard for me, I've really struggled to keep God at the center of my life and trust him in the same ways that I can when life is easy. So a little bit of backstory on, on me, if you don't know. I actually was born in Nashville, uh, but grew up in Kansas. And so when I lived in Kansas, just like, a, you know, lots of corn, pretty similar to Ohio, but flatter. Uh, when I was 15, so going into high school, I moved to the great state of Ohio. Um, and honestly, this was the first like big life change for me. I had to leave all of my friends behind. And you know, when you're like 14, 15 in middle school, like you don't know who you are and you don't know what you want. And that move was really disruptive in my life. And I, I grew up in the church, but honestly, this move like was the first kind of thing that rattled my faith a little bit, and I really had to wrestle with that. Um, things kind of like settled out after that, and then when I was in high school, actually my sophomore year, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer, and like my, man, my like whole world just kind of collapsed. You know, I'm, I'm sure that a lot of you unfortunately can relate to that, knowing someone that has dealt with cancer, and, and luckily like, praise God, she, she was healed, um, but it made me question everything. It made me question why would this happen to someone that I love? Is, is God really good? You know, like all of those fundamental questions that you really struggle with when the world rears its ugly head. I, I had all of that, and I was really wrestling with my faith in that time. Uh, again, things kind of smoothed out, and I was still going to youth group and going to church, and things were just kind of like normal, and my mom got better and, and all that, and so things kind of just got a little bit normal after that. And then... Fast forwarding to college, uh, I went to Bowling Green State University. Go Falcons, talents up. <laughs> um, my, my freshman year, I had this crazy experience where I don't often hear from God. I don't hear the voice of God in my head. It's only happened, I think, twice in my entire life. And one of these times was a really, had a very confusing result for me. So I was uh, at the time, I was really into skateboarding and longboarding, so I would go out like super late at night, and I would just like longboard all across campus in the dark with music, and just like I was vibing. Like I just did that almost every single night. It was, it was great, very therapeutic. Um, and and this one night, I was out like way out by the stadium. It's there's nothing out there. There's no people. There's one car. This guy's trying to like start his car, and it's like not working. And I'm like, nah, that sucks. Sorry, man. Um, but I kept like skating in circles, whatever, trying to do some tricks. And I, I like, I couldn't stop thinking about this guy. And, and I don't know, I know a little bit now, but I knew nothing about cars back then. And I was like, I really feel like I should go help him. I felt like God was saying, just go help this guy. Just see if you can in some way like assist him with his car. And so I was like, long story short, uh, things did not go well. I put myself in a very dangerous situation and was nearly sexually assaulted. And it, it like, that was a really defining moment in my faith uh, because I, up to that point, honestly, had thought that people inherently are good. I believed that. I really did. You know, I, I grew up in a pretty great family and, and I had safe uh, experiences and, and environments around me and this was the first time where that trust with just a stranger was broken and it, 
it broke me. It really did. It really challenged my faith. Again, I kind of just like worked through it. Things felt more normal after some time, and I just you know was going to counseling and figuring things out. And then a year after that, um, I got a call from one of my really good high school friends, David. Not this David, different David. We didn't know each other yet. Um, so David calls me. It's like 11 p.m. on like a Wednesday night, and he's like, hey, did you hear about Dane? And Dane was one of my best friends in high school. One of the first guys I met, he was in cross country with me. We were in the choir together. And so we had a really good friendship. We you know, would play Call of Duty way too late into the night, and we were just like typical teenage guys together. Uh, I knew his family. We were really close. I was close with his siblings and everything. And so David calls me, and he says, hey, did you hear about Dane? I said, no, what's going on? He said, Dane committed suicide. And I felt like I couldn't breathe. And I, had, I honestly had no idea that Dane was even struggling with mental health. He had gone off to the Air Force after high school. I hadn't heard from him in about two years. And then I ended up, you know, the next time I have an interaction with, with him and his family is at his funeral. And it just, it just broke me. Well, Lydia knows. She was there when it happened. And I, I tried to suppress it and, and move on, but that doesn't work. It never does. So I say all of this not to bum you guys out, but... I, I just wanted to preface by saying, like, my faith gets rocked, too. And, and just because you see me appear, like, every Sunday on staff, like, does not mean that I have things figured out. And I have doubts and I have questions, too. So I just want to kind of normalize that struggle because we all feel it. We all feel it. The amazing thing, though, is that God doesn't expect perfection. He just wants us to listen and understand what he teaches and then align our lives with that truth. Obviously, this is easier said than done, and I think this passage will show us how that is true. So following Jesus in a vacuum uh, is easy. Following Jesus in the world, you know, how we actually exist, is much harder. I've, I've had this thought experiment before, like, you know, if I could just live in a cabin in the woods for, like, five years, like, my faith would be so great. You know, like, if there were no distractions, no Netflix, um, it was just, like, me and a cabin and my guitar, like, my faith would be great. Like, it would just be the best. But this quickly falls apart in real life because we don't live in a bubble like that. We live with social influences. We have family and friends that influence us. And there are things constantly happening in the world around us. There are a million and one distractions every single day that are fighting for our attention. And that can take a toll. And if we aren't careful to diagnose these things and fight against them, they can easily become the driving force in our lives and, and actually blind us from the things that God is trying to teach us and show us. If you've been a Christian for some time, um, you've probably had a couple moments in your life where you felt like you, you and your faith aren't as strong or as bulletproof as you thought you were. Um, I shared some of mine, and I think that a lot of you can relate to that as well. I'd like to propose that some of the best times in our lives where things are easy and, and on the outside really great are actually some of the worst times spiritual-wise for us because we get comfortable and we get safe. You know, it's easy to thank God and feel like your faith is great when you get a job promotion or you get engaged or you have kids. You know, all of these great things that can happen in your life are exciting and, and wonderful, but I think there's even more beauty and more power in still worshiping God and thanking him when 
that job you took is super stressful and your kids won't sleep more than two and a half hours a night and you and your fiance are fighting. I think that's where real life happens. And these, these big moments, these great spiritual highs are important and I think they're special and they're a gift, but we can't live for them because they'll always let us down because they fade. Luckily, we can turn to scripture for a clear guide on how we should live our lives and what it takes to grow our faith. So if you want to turn with me to Matthew 13, we have Bibles in the back that you can have um, if you don't have one with you, or you can look on your phone, or we'll also have it up on the screen. Uh, I'm going to start by reading 13, 1 through 9. Nicole already did, but I just want to get us back in the zone here a little bit. On that day after Jesus went out of the house, he sat by the lake, and such a large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat to sit while the crowd stood on the shore. He told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. They sprang up quickly because the soil was not deep, but when the sun came up, they were scorched, and because they did not have sufficient root, they withered. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and they grew up and choked them. But other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundred times as much, some sixty and some thirty. The one who has ears had better listen. I think this may seem like a little bit of a weird example that Jesus is using in this parable. This story I don't think is super easy for all of us to connect to unless you're just some in a row and you plant seeds on a daily basis. Um, this is a little bit abstract, maybe, in some ways. I, I like to propagate my spider plant sometimes, but I have never gone out to like seed an entire field. But what I love about this is Jesus is speaking in terms that these people understand. In this day and age, they were a lot more familiar with the idea of agriculture and what it took to have a good harvest. And so he's talking to them just like people. He's not trying to be lofty or super intelligent or use really big words and confuse them. He's just like... Hey guys, here's a story. You all know what this means. And it's just very approachable. And I love that about Jesus because that's how he is now to us too, is he is approachable. And what I like about that is we, we don't have to guess or interpret because Jesus flat out gives us the answers. When I was first reading this to prepare, I was like trying to like, after every verse in the first part, I was like making some notes and stuff. And then I went on to the last couple verses, and I was like, oh, Jesus literally tells me what to say. <laughs> like, this is such an easy passage, which is great. Uh, so moving on to 18 and 19. So listen to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Like I said, Jesus gives us the answer here. Great. Uh, so this first soil... Uh, is the seed along the path. And this is typically, typically represented by hard hearts that are not ready or unable to receive the word. This could be a family member, a coworker, or a friend um, that maybe you tried to explain the gospel to, tried to show them Jesus. And you do your best you know, to explain it in a way that's clear and concise. And for some reason, it just feels like there's a roadblock there. Either they don't understand or... They're just not willing to take a leap of faith. There are, there are a million different reasons, but sometimes there are those barriers. And if that person's heart is hard to the truth, then there's nothing you can do about it, honestly. It's not our job to save people. That's Jesus' job. 
our job is to show them the truth, show them the way of Jesus. We can only take them so far, and then Jesus has to do the rest. The Holy Spirit has to work in their hearts, in their lives, to bring them the rest of the way. And I feel like that takes some pressure off of me because I've, you know, in my time uh, in crew in, in college and even now in my life, I try to evangelize. I try to tell people about Jesus. And sometimes you don't see any fruit from that. And honestly, as hard, it is, as, hard, as hard as it is, we may never see that fruit. But Jesus is working in their hearts. And we just have to trust that he's there and he's with them. And if we don't invite the Spirit into our lives, then it's much harder for him to change our hearts. I, th I think that is pretty self-explanatory. Um, okay, so on to the soil number two, verses 20 and 21. The seed sown on rocky ground is the person who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But he has no root in himself and does not endure. When trouble or, per or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he falls away. So this is the second kind of soil. This is the rocky soil, which really is, is no depth of heart transformation in people. And at first glance, uh, this may not seem relevant to you if you consider yourself a believer, but I want you to take an honest look at your own heart here. How strong is your faith, really? I think there are a lot of Christians in the world today, and myself included, that might be one question, one argument, one podcast, one article away from leaving their faith. I don't think we're as bulletproof as we think we are. And this isn't to say that we can't have doubts and we can't ask questions. You know, God, God invites that. He wants us to open a dialogue with him and he can take all of our questions and concerns and anger and, and fear. Um, he has the answers, even if we don't, even when we don't. We need to be aware of our own doubts and resist the temptation to get comfortable and complacent in our lives. You know, hardships require us to exercise even more faith and therefore grow deeper in our relationship with the Lord. This reminded me of a passage uh, in James chapter 1 that I'll read real quickly. Verses 2 through 4. My brothers and sisters, consider it nothing but joy when you fall into all sorts of trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect effect so that you'll be perfect and complete, deficient in nothing. So just to reiterate here a little bit, we don't have the power to save others. Only Jesus does. Moving on to soil number three, uh, verse 22. The seed sown among thorns is the person who hears the word but worldly cares and the seductiveness of wealth choke the word so it produces nothing. These are people who have heart transformation but maybe get lazy or distracted, complacent, or they have idols in their lives that are fighting for their attention, these thorns in their life. This kind of goes back to the distractions I mentioned earlier. Um, you know, we have deep cultural pressures all around us, like having a family, having a job, you know, having financial peace. Um, all of these things aren't inherently bad. They're good things, but they can become idols in our lives, and that's when they become dangerous. You know, there, there are a lot of things that we might see day to day um, that tell us if you just do this thing, life will be better. If you just wake up at 4 a.m. for the next 30 days, you can crush your endless to-do list. If you just go to the gym, you will feel beautiful. 
If you invest all of your money into Bitcoin or whatever the newest cryptocurrency is, you will be rich. I say this and it's funny, but it's true, right? Like if you, if you pull out your phone for five minutes, you will have seemingly all the answers to life. And those answers change every single day, but God doesn't. And if we put our faith in things of this world, it's always going to let us down. And it's always changing, too. You can't even keep up with it because it's just operating at a pace that's unbelievable and, and crazy to try to live that way. I think the majority of Christians fall into this type of soil. You know, we have, have these roots and we're fighting these thorns. I think one of the things that I, I really had to wrestle with when reading this passage and, and analyzing my own life is that we can begin to act like spiritual junkies craving that next spiritual high. And in this vulnerable state, it's so easy to be misdirected to prioritize the things of this world over Jesus. You know, if we're really rooted in our faith, then all of the distractions of the world aren't going to bother us. We're just going to move past it and be like, yeah, maybe that works for you, but that's not the way I want to live my life, and I'm rooted in the Lord. But when we're seeking that spiritual high and we're not getting it, we look for other places if we don't know to turn to God first. And honestly, I've spent years of my life chasing these spiritual highs in so many different ways, right? Like in um, youth retreats when I was younger, in working at summer camps, in serving in college ministry, in serving uh, in staff at a church now. Like these are things that I have unconsciously done because I crave that spiritual high. I want that moment where everything feels great and I feel like God is speaking to me or that I feel God's love. And I think real life and our faith happens in the in-between moments, when things are boring or when things are really hard or when they don't go the way you expect. I think that's where real faith comes in. Looking back at another parable uh, that was taught on a couple weeks back, in Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27, I think we can see this put into practice. This is Jesus uh, speaking here in another parable. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain fell, the flood came, and the winds beat against that house, but it did not collapse because its foundation had been laid on rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell, the flood came, and the winds beat against that house, and it collapsed. It was utterly destroyed. I'm not an architect, but I feel like building a house on sand is a terrible idea. Honestly, I feel like you're, you're setting yourself up to fail, right? Like, that's, that's his point here. The storms of life are coming, or maybe you're already in one. And we have a choice to make, whether we will heed Jesus' words and allow the Spirit to work in our hearts, or we can choose to try and do it our own way. But the outcome for both is clear in this example. One ends in heartbreak and disaster, and the other does not. It's not all doom and gloom in this passage, though, so let's, let's keep on reading to the last soil. This is the good soil, uh, verse 23. But as for the seed sown on good soil, this is the person who hears the word and understands. He bears fruit yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. This is where it gets exciting. 
if we cultivate our hearts to be good soil through the removal of thorns and inviting the Spirit to work in our hearts, then there is a great reward. Whatever we are taught and learn now becomes a radical change in our lives that has fruit, and that's, that's a beautiful thing. Uh, I don't know why this came into my head, but I, I thought I would use this as an example. This is just a goofy story, but let's say uh, that this is 10 years from now, I'm married and I live in a state that is much warmer and sunnier than here. And my wife says, dear, it would be so great if we had one orange tree in the backyard. Just like the kids would love it to make orange juice, the great to have fresh fruit in the house. Like, let's just plant one orange tree. And I say, sure, honey. So I do, you know, as the good husband I am, I go out, dig a hole, plant one seed, one seed, cover back up, water it. And then she says, hey, let's go on a vacation for like three to five years. And I say, sure, honey. So we do. We go on a vacation, I don't know where, to the Bahamas, somewhere warm, and we're there for like three years. This whole time, that seed is growing. I'm not thinking about it. You know, we're like on vacation. We're not thinking about that at all. But we come back to our lovely home, and there are, at this time, 100 orange trees, all full of ripe oranges. And we have this very exciting and crazy experience where we are now the stewards of thousands of ripe oranges. <laughs> we have to do something with them. We don't want to waste them because they're good. They're good fruit. We want to use them. So we're giving them away to our neighbors and our friends, and we're learning how to make orange pies and marmalades and all kinds of crazy stuff. <laughs> and we become like the orange family. Like, it's just this crazy thing. <laughs> this is a ridiculous example, but I think my point here is that Jesus wants to do the same thing. Not the vacation, not the oranges, but he wants to plant something in your life and then he wants you to steward it and then there will be a great harvest at the end. You know, he gives us free will, so in order to see real life change, we have to listen and understand, which means we must let the Spirit change our hearts and invite, invite that in. So now the practical stuff. I want you to take a moment here and analyze your own heart. I'm going to ask a series of a couple short questions and just, just think about them for a second. What are your desires? What are you afraid of? What are you working towards? What's the first thing you do in the morning? I think it's important when, when faced with a passage like this that we be honest with ourselves and we be honest with God. I think a question that I try to plug in here to challenge myself with is, if blank was taken away from me tomorrow, I don't know if I would still follow God. If, say, my family, my finances, my joy, what is that thing for you, right? Like, what is that, the thing that you're holding on to, that thorn that you have in your life that has just insane grip on you, that if it was removed for some reason, your faith would be shaken? It's important to identify those things because if we don't know, then we just live life like it doesn't exist. But it does exist, and it has powerful, powerful impacts on us.
So after, after we've identified some of these idols in our own hearts, I want to challenge you guys to make a decision today to rip those thorns out of your heart in order to cultivate a healthy soil that can grow beautiful fruit. It will take time. You know, some thorns might grow back after a while, and as we go through life, we might have new distractions, new thorns that pop up that we have to figure out how to deal with, but it's worth fighting. The Holy Spirit is alive and working in the hearts of all who follow Jesus, and that's how we experience heart change. Now, going back to that example that Jesus taught, uh, the house built on the sand and built on rock, we have a decision to make. You know, where are we going to put our trust? Where are we going to build our foundation? What if we lived day to day with genuine trust in the Lord and a faith that is constantly growing, not swayed by our fleeting emotions or moods? What if we truly put into practice the teachings of Jesus and alter the priorities, motivation, and direction of our lives? And our friends, our families, and our coworkers, they would see a faith that perseveres through trials and brings real hope to this world that so desperately needs it. I'm going to invite the band up, and I'm going to pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Matthew and all of the things that we can learn from it. God, I pray that you would help us to identify any thorns in our lives and that we would be able to look at the soil of our hearts and just take an honest look at what's, what's distracting us. You know, what, are we, what are we placing our, our worth or our trust in? That's not you. Holy Spirit, we invite you into our hearts to help us make those changes. It's one thing to be able to see them and identify them, and it's another to actually do something about it. Jesus, I thank you for this passage and for the way that I felt convicted by it, the way that I feel like I need to change some things in my life and trust you more with certain things. Jesus, we're thankful that you are here with us. You are a personal God that we can come to when we're confused or frustrated or in a time where we don't feel you. Because, God, you're still there. And we, through what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we can just come to you and you invite us with open arms. I pray for real heart change for us. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.